So what I'd invite you to do now is join me in prayer and let's dive into the last part of what the Holy Spirit is speaking this morning. Uh, Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to just hear your voice. Um, in an age where people are skeptical about God, wondering if there really is a God, and, and a lot of that comes from basically from how we've been treated by the world, by the, the flesh, by other people. We come away from life questioning whether or not there is a God. And if there is a God, why would he care about little old me? And so as you speak this morning, as you weave together a message and a, and a picture this morning, through the story of Peter, I pray that you would inspire us, encourage us, and lift us up as we receive from you all the love that you pour out in your son, Jesus. So go before us now as we bind together around your teaching and your word. In your name we pray and together we say amen and amen. Well, as has been very well said so far this morning, we're talking about a scene in scripture that is restorative. This is where Jesus is working with Peter systematically restoring parts of his soul. His soul was compromised uh, in a part of the story that had happened a little bit earlier. And in fact, if you look at one of the other uh, renderings of this story in scripture, this is in Matthew, you kind of see the beginnings of this account go like this. Uh, Matthew 26, 31 says, Jesus told them, the disciples, his original disciples, this very night you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. And in fact, that's exactly what ended up happening. If you read the rest of the story, right? Jesus said, but after I've risen, verse 32, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Now, Peter, we love because Peter's like a lot of us. Peter's the guy who jumps out of the boat and then thinks about what he's doing, right? Lands on the water, starts to follow Jesus you know, and then starts to sink once he realizes he's standing on water. Peter jumps and then thinks. He's very impulsive. Here's what Peter said back to the Lord. Peter replied, verse 33, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Now, if you were sitting around with the original disciples at that point, basically what Peter was saying is, even if all these other chumps fall away, I never will. I am never going to fall away, Jesus. I'm never going to do what you say all of us are going to do. So I am going to defy your prediction of the future that we are all going to fall away. I will be that shining star that will rise like cream to the surface of the coffee, right? And Jesus replies, truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Now, the Bible records that indeed Peter did deny Jesus how many times? Three times. And then after that third time, what happened? Then the rooster crowed. And that just wasn't blind luck. That was the hand of God working through the voice of a rooster. So on some days when I don't feel like I'm doing very well sharing the good news of Jesus, I remember that God can even use a chicken to share his good news, okay? And I'm just saying it's in the Bible, all right? So what happened is Peter would have been left after he denied Jesus three times, he would have been left with a desperate life of regret. This would have been a life where he would have remembered from now until he died that he was the one who said, 
I will never betray you, but then turn around and do what? Exactly what he said he was not going to do. He would have been left with a life in the world of being the one who betrayed Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times, thus fulfilling and glorifying Jesus because Jesus predicted it. Who knows what his life would have been like for the rest of his life had not Jesus come along and restored him systematically. And as we look at the scripture, if you want to look back in that scripture that was read, as we look at the scripture and see Jesus restoring Peter by calling his name and then asking him this key question, Peter, do you love me? And giving Peter the opportunity, not once, not twice, but three times to respond back, yes. What it is is Jesus is doing over breakfast that morning, sharing part of the meal that God had provided for them from the seashore, giving him hope and peace and restoration. What Jesus was doing that morning was making Peter aware that Jesus knew that there were three times that he was betrayed. That God knows when we drop the ball. And God knows that our salvation is not up to us. And that God has enough love for each one of us and enough power in his Holy Spirit to meet us exactly where we are and to restore us systematically exactly where we are broken and in need. You think about that for your own life. Think about the idea of how God has come and responded to you when you've been broken. Now, maybe you haven't felt that yet. Maybe you haven't experienced that yet all the way through. You know what? That's okay. Because that simply means that God's not done with you yet. If you're alive, if you're breathing, if you have a pulse, it means that you're somewhere in the middle of that journey. That God is coming and calling to you in the middle of what is broken in you, speaking restoration in you, and bringing power to life through you. That's what that means. If there's still unreserved, unresolved hurt in you, where sometimes you're tempted to believe God is not there, take the opposite of that. Turn that around and say, wait a minute, maybe this is good news. Maybe just like Peter, but slower, God is restoring me one piece at a time and is preparing me for something greater than I've ever experienced before as a part of the kingdom of God. And this is where Jesus went with Peter. See, Jesus didn't just come back to Peter and say, uh, Peter, do you love me? Giving Peter the opportunity to say, yes, Lord, I love you. And then walking away. Jesus never restores us and heals us without purpose attached to it. He never comes and finds the dark places of us and heals them and lifts them up without future implications. The reason is, is because he's called us to be a part of this feeding of sheep. Now, I don't know if you've ever fed a sheep before. It's kind of fun. It's kind of gross uh, because they will eat out of your hand. They're fairly tame animals and 
Uh, they are known to eat just about anything, right? But what, what is interesting about sheep is that the feeding of sheep can come in all kinds of different ways. God calls us and tests us in life to prepare us to feed sheep. What does that mean? Well, sheep know how to feed themselves once they've been led to what? Pasture, right? Once they are given enough green grass, then they can bend over and eat the grass up off the ground and have a meal out of that, right? Or you can feed them out of your hand. But ultimately, a good shepherd is going to lead sheep to a place where they can do what? Feed themselves. And then as they reproduce and have baby sheep, those baby sheep can feed from the parents and then grow up and turn and do what? Feed themselves. But the reproductive cycle is pretty normal. Once you lead a bunch of sheep, a flock, out into the middle of a green pasture that's healthy and full of nourishment waiting to be taken from the ground, right? God does the same kind of thing with us. And the way he feeds us, the way he nurtures, nurtures us, is through trial and testing. He has us follow him into the unknown, trusting him that he's going to feed us. And then when he feeds us, he heals us, restores us, and prepares us to do what? Feed ourselves. Now, what are we talking about with feeding this morning? Just the same thing Jesus and Peter were talking about. Jesus wasn't literally asking Peter to become a shepherd. Peter was a fisherman. He wasn't asking him to change vocations, as it were. What he was asking him to do was to begin to feed spiritually, to look at Jesus for spiritual feeding, to look at Jesus to be nurtured spiritually, himself, so that he could then turn and lead other people to receive nourishment from Jesus and be fed, who would then turn and follow Jesus and receive nourishment and be fed. You see, when people are spiritually hungry, they need spiritual food. And Jesus talked about this during his ministry. He talked about the idea that if you come and eat the bread of life, then you'll never be what again? Hungry. And if you come and drink spiritual water, spiritual water from Christ, you'll never be what again? Thirsty. Not because you will have been filled that one time and that one time only, but because you will have been filled in a way that will take you back to the source again when you become hungry spiritually again and when you become thirsty spiritually again. You will know to whom you need to go to be filled. And then the idea becomes you can show other people how that works. Yes, you. You who may have unreserved or unresolved hurts. Things that aren't shored up, things that aren't addressed and finished spiritually in your life yet. That is what God does in us to prepare us. Now, for weeks, we've been talking about the discipleship pathway. You guys are familiar with this idea if you've been around. We believe at Trinity that people come into the family of God through various on-ramps, 
Places that simply share with them the hospitality of God, God's openness, his heart to welcome people who don't yet believe in him and perhaps who never even will. Simply showing someone how God is loving and hospitable is an on-ramp to bringing them into conversation where they want to discover more about how God works. Now, I'll tell you this. If you have absolutely no confidence whatsoever in being with somebody who doesn't know God or doesn't trust in God, and they throw a question at you that you can't answer in the discover process, there is always an answer to go to. And the answer is this. How would Jesus respond to that? And if you don't know how Jesus would respond to that, you can simply tell the other person, I'm wondering how Jesus would respond to this. I don't really know. Can I take a week and do a little research and get back to you? In all my years in the church, I've never had anybody say no to that. 30 years. Nobody's ever said no. I need an answer right now. People have always been willing to be patient because they want to hear what that answer is. They want to hear from God. So the discover process for us is progressive and dynamic. It changes as God works through us and works in us. But we are all capable of sharing what it is God calls us to, specifically when it gets to the point where God calls us to become a part of the family and respond to an invitation where we say to somebody, hey, it looks like you really want God. That's awesome because God really wants you. So let's get you guys together. Will you join the family and let us bind together and grow together? And when that happens, we say that kind of growth happens best in a small group. A small group of believers who can pull together. That's why we take 10 minutes every Sunday morning to form random small groups so that we can begin to exercise our faith or at least explore our faith in conversation. That's how the faith grows. But then today, what we're going to talk about is a role that emerges inside the small group setting or through the small group setting. We're calling it the discipler. It literally is just the word disciple, but it's a person who does discipling. And here's what we believe about the discipler. We believe the work of the discipler in the small group setting is the number one place where growth in faith can occur. Now, I'll tell you this. You can spend your entire life as a Christ follower listening to podcasts and sermons, going to church and simply hearing a message and walking away, or being a part of special worship services where the gospel is shared and preached, and never disciple another person and only grow to a certain level. There's only certain level of growth that you can achieve through the power of the Holy Spirit by listening to the word of God. Growth to be had above that level happens as you go into the life of a discipler. And here's what we mean by that. The idea becomes simply this. A discipler is one who is called to disciple at least one other person. Now, let's say this in the beginning. We might be tempted, especially with a lot of people in the room with small kids. Discipling your child is not what we're talking about here. 
That's parenthood for a Christ follower. Does this make sense? What we're talking about today is the life of choosing and or receiving at least one other person in your life who God has called you to raise up in this way. The role of the discipler is for those who are ready to answer the call and disciple at least one other person. Here's what that looks like. A discipler serves his or her small group by actively discipling one to three. And if it's just one, is that good? Yeah, that's part of the range, isn't it? One to three. One to three people within the group. This means spending regular time doing mainly three things. Encouraging them in their walks with Jesus. Praying for them on a weekly basis, either with them or behind the scenes where they don't hear it or know it. And being available to assist a small group leader in caring for the needs of those within the group. Now, a couple of minutes ago when you saw the discipleship path and you saw small group and discipler circled, the reason they're circled is that at Trinity, we have searched the scriptures, searched the heart of God for decades, and have found that we believe the counsel of scripture is that every single one of our people can be a discipler. Every single one. There are no exceptions. And in fact, not only can we all be disciplers, but God has called us and is currently equipping us to be disciples. And the one main objective, the one main reason people might look at that, uh, that idea and say, no, that's not me, goes back to the same problem Peter had when Jesus restored him. There were three strikes against him, three ways that he had failed, three ways that he was broken. And we are tempted to do the same thing. God, I can't be a discipler for you because of that. I can't be a discipler for you because of this that I'm in. I can't be a discipler for you because I'm not qualified. And what does Jesus say back to you through Peter? Do you love me? And if you say yes, then Jesus, by inference, says, let go of your past. Put it where it belongs, on the cross, and follow me. Feed my sheep. Care for my sheep. Feed my lambs. Feed those who cannot feed themselves yet. Lead those who cannot lead themselves yet. Care for those who are broken and lost. And I will be with you forever in that work. Jesus calls and we respond by his spirit through encouraging, praying, and being available. Think about somebody in your life that God may be calling you to disciple. If you don't have that person's face in your head right now, don't be worried. It simply means that you are being called to be discipled by someone else. And it may just be that simple. For a season, you may be called to have someone who is more mature in the faith care for you, feed you the scriptures, 
pray for you and encourage you in a way that is daily some kind of interaction through Facebook Messenger, through text, through knocking on the door, through calling on the phone if you still believe in that, through being in your life. Maybe you are the disciple and then maybe you become the discipler through being in that role. Here's what disciplers do through their knowledge. They're able to clearly articulate the gospel, understand the importance of the sacraments in the Christian life, and have a solid scriptural foundation. If you're not ready with all that, if you don't have all that knowledge in your life, then it means that there's someone in your life that God is calling forward with that to give to you and share with you for the purpose of raising you up in that direction. Think about it. Do you know how to share the gospel with other people? What is the gospel? If you had to identify what the gospel was in 30 seconds or less, what would you say? It might be something like this. The Son of God died for me 2,000 years ago, and then three days later, he rose again from the grave. And then he ascended into heaven, but before he did that, he called me into the life of a disciple to follow him and to have purpose and power and meaning in my life. How long was that? 20, 30 seconds? We can embrace the basics and the power of the gospel in conversation. And in fact, we're all called to practice that with each other and lead each other through that truth. The idea of understanding the importance of the sacraments is following Jesus' command to baptize people and to come to the table, to come and experience the sacrament of communion on a regular basis so we can be strengthened to the task of discipling and leading other people. And then finally, having a solid scriptural foundation simply means that we're able to find in the Bible or by Googling it on our phone, the scriptures that can back up the good news of the gospel message. If you don't have these pieces working in your life, don't be afraid. Don't be sad. Don't have regrets about that. What we're simply saying is that there's somebody in your life already who has parts and pieces of this in their life and wants to share them with you. Maybe they won't invite you into that conversation. Maybe you could seek out a mentor and invite that conversation for yourself into your own life. Here's another part of the discipler's life, the behaviors they will exhibit by training and by habit. They will take something like a spiritual life assessment that we have here at Trinity that shows us where we are on a track in our growth, helps us to identify the different parts of our life that God is working on. And disciples have a teachable spirit. They are led by their small group leader and or pastor, site pastor. They have some kind of devotional life on their own where they might read scripture and pray on their own individually outside of the small group or outside of church. And they're modeling Trinity's family values the seven values that we've said are part of the Jesus behaviors of our church, worshiping, connecting with each other, serving, being accountable to each other, being generous with each other, leading each other, and sharing 
the good news with someone who doesn't have it. All of these aspects of the discipler life are destined for you. You have the ability to practice all of these behaviors. Yes, you, through the power of the Holy Spirit. But that growth and that ability doesn't come by yourself. It comes by being discipled yourself. And then by turning and sharing with one other person or more who's been called into your life. You know, educators in the room will tell you that this is true. A person learns best by doing what? Teaching. There's a 90% retention rate of new material when you take something that you just learned and do what with it? Teach it. 90%. Whereas if you simply hear something that you're learning and you don't pass it on to someone else, what's the retention rate? These days, it's probably south of about 25%. Think about how that works and how research backs up what God has already known and already shared with us. We learn the heart and the character of God by teaching others about it. We do. We learn. We grow by sharing those parts of us with other people. Now, you might be wondering how that works, how discipling works. It could just work over lunch. If you are inviting someone to disciple you, or if you're being invited by someone to be discipled, get food. Food helps. Food breaks the ice. Food starts the conversation. And food kind of oils the engine of intimacy. When you want to develop a relationship with someone, give them food. This is why Jesus said, feed my sheep. His language was spiritual. But while he was telling Peter this, what was he doing? Giving him breakfast. Jesus isn't dumb. He knows how food works and the power of hospitality. That's why we have on-ramps, why we serve ice cream at the family dance, why we serve amazing Chinese dumplings and food at the Chinese New Year party. This is why we cook and serve food in our homes, like the Super Bowl party we do every year. Find a way to get food with a person that you believe God has led into your life to help you grow. And I promise you, by God's promise, you will grow. You will. And as you grow, God will show you people who are younger than you in the faith to help them grow. This is not just meant for the person sitting beside you on your left or right. This is meant for you. No matter where you are in your life, no matter who you think you are, this is meant for you. I'll say this almost as we close here. We will not grow in faith until we receive and embrace disciple-making. We can grow to a certain level, but we will not grow to where Jesus has envisioned us until we receive this idea and embrace it. Now, I want you to struggle with that for a minute and be challenged by that for a moment. Because you may sit in church your entire life and hear that you don't need to do anything else. There's a certain aspect to that that is true. 
You don't need to do anything else to be saved. But to be what God has made you to be, you're called to be a discipler. Yes, you. No matter what your past is, remember, Jesus is the one who heals the hurts and the wounds of the past. Systematically, day by day, conversation by conversation. And as we trust in him, we will see that healing happen. And we'll look back over a life that's become a discipling life and say, man, God is good. He is so good to me. Look at the scripture in Ephesians chapter 4. If you take the time uh, offline to take a look at Ephesians chapter 4, it's kind of like a vision for how the mechanics of the church is supposed to work. God says in that passage that he raises up certain people for leadership, pastors, teachers, apostles, people like that to lead and inspire, right? That's what the job of that role is supposed to be. But the job of that role is failing if average everyday people aren't rising up as disciples. I want to say that again clearly. The job of church leaders is a failure if average everyday people aren't rising up as disciples. And conversely, if average everyday people are rising up to share their faith as disciples, then God is succeeding through them. Purely, scripturally true and sound. And here's a scripture that kind of backs that up. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament, not just the ones at the top or the bottom, but every single one grows and builds itself up in love as how many parts? Each part does its work. That's you and me. As each part does what work? The work of a discipler. Now, do you disagree with anything I just said based on the counsel of Scripture? It's okay if you do. But don't listen to me. Search the Scriptures. Feed yourself. And you will see evidence that what we're saying is true. And then when you're ready to share that with someone else, either on the receiving end or the giving end, ask somebody to lunch. If you don't have time for lunch, invite somebody for coffee. If you don't have time for coffee, invite somebody for dinner. If you don't have time for dinner, you're gonna be losing weight at an exponential rate. <laughs> Everybody in here eats, don't we? Everybody feeds. Jesus knows what he's doing. Use that physical food as a way to share spiritual food. And God will bless you beyond measure. You will feel the Holy Spirit changing you. Almost like physically. And it's amazing. You will become who God has made you to be through Jesus. That is why he died. And that is why he still lives. Would you pray with me? God, you are so good. You are so powerful. You are so amazing. You've taken a simple breakfast, seaside, to change the world. You've taken 
the restoration of somebody's over sin and healed it. You've taken somebody's brokenness and used it to create a movement of people that is in the millions across the thousands of years. You are amazing. And we love to serve you and serve with you. God, as you call me into next steps, bring into my mind the face of someone that I need to connect with this week and give me the gumption, the courage, and the inspiration to send a text, a message, or a phone call, or a face-to-face door-knocked invitation to sit down over lunch and talk about what it means to be a discipler. God, as I receive that and as I grow to pass it on, make it the right person who comes into my life, a person who shares a love for you and a care and a concern for me. Let us bind together in your name and grow into who you've created us to become. Through your power and your spirit, let me be excited about this. Let me fall into this as I trust in you with all care and all concern placed in your hands. In your name we pray and together we say amen and amen.